Good morning, church. Hello to all um, of you, and maybe if you're a guest or visitor this morning, welcome to you. I want to say hi to everybody who's watching over at the well or in our face center, or maybe you're at home. Thanks for joining us. I pray that the Lord speaks to you powerfully uh, wherever you're at. Um, I hope you got to spend some good time with Jesus in your 90 Days with uh, Jesus Journey journal book. Um, if you didn't get one because you weren't here last week, I want to let you know that we ordered more, so we got some more in. Um, over at the Next Steps table, you can go and grab one uh, for yourself if you haven't gotten one. And if you have a friend or family member who you'd love to bless with this, and it would be good for them, grab one for them as well, okay? Um, you might have noticed if you started your journey this week that six days you had space to write your own kind of thoughts and devotional. But on the seventh day is actually a place for sermon notes. So if you have it with you today, um, you could turn to that page and, and use it to record notes if that's helpful for you. So that's there for you. Um, but before we get into the, the, the text today, I want to make a, a special plug. So Pastor Rob, our missions pastor, and I would love to invite you to consider at least uh, taking part in the perspectives course. So I'm going to put up a slide for you. This is not an SBCC thing, but Perspectives is a missions course um, that shows God's movement throughout the world. Um, th this course has been held for decades um, all across the nation, and it's coming to the South Bay Rolling Hills Covenant Church on January 29th. Um, powerful class to really help open your eyes to the, the world mission, what God is doing um, in, in this world by sending the gospel out. I took it when I was in college, my sister said, Greg, you got to take this class. Uh, it'll completely change your perspective and your mind and, on, on what, what's happening in the world. Um, it's 15 weeks. Every week is a different teacher. Um, so, so I went, and I loved it so much. I, I took it again when I was in seminary in grad school. Uh, you could take it for just enrichment, just to learn, or you could take it for credit. right? So that's something to consider um, if you're a student right now. So I took it for credit. And then uh, I'm, I'm blessed to now get to be on the other side, the privilege of being able to be a teacher for Perspective. So um, I'll, I'll, I'll be teaching that first class. I want to invite you because the first class is actually free. Um, it's a, the class, uh, the course comes with a price, but the first class is free. So you could come to figure out, is this something I want to commit to and enroll in? So I'll be there. I want to invite you January 29th. That's a Monday. Here's a fun fact. Um, I actually met Pastor Rob before he was a pastor. It was Rob and his wife, Denise. They were sitting in the front row. I was teaching the class. They were there. I got to meet them. And now uh, he's here at our church as our missions pastor. So that, that's a cool fact. Um, but let's get into the Word. So if you have your Bibles, get ready in Mark chapter 1. And I want to start off by asking you, uh, have you guys noticed how ridiculously expensive movie tickets are right now? It's crazy. I haven't been to the theaters in a long time, and so Monica and I, we got to try to sneak out for a little date night, and we went, and I paid over 20 bucks, almost $24 per person to watch a movie. That was so hard for me to accept, and then even worse, what makes it even harder to swallow is like five minutes into the movie, I turn, and Monica's face is glowing, like light is coming off of her face. Why? because she's trying to read what the movie is about, how it ends on Wikipedia, on her phone. And I'm like, why are you reading about it when we paid all this money to watch it, just watch the movie? And she does this all the time. Every time we watch a movie, she's reading about it to find out what happens, how does it end, what surprise endings are there, then she can enjoy the movie. 
Do any of you do that? Raise your hand if you do that. Anybody here? Yeah? Okay, you need Jesus. I'm glad you're here at church because that, that's just wrong. Why do you do that, right? But I, I get it. Some of us are like that. We just want to cut out the details. Just give me the Cliff Notes version. Give me what happens. I just need to cut to the chase. And if that's you, you'll probably really appreciate the Gospel of Mark. Because he's, he's the briefest out of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's got the least amount of details. He just cuts to the chase. And by the end of the book, you find out really quickly what it's about. Jesus is the Son of God. He's the King who has come to serve mankind. And, and, and so he, he just flies through these stories. You probably saw that if you were in uh, Mark chapter 1 this week. And Mark, though he's very much like the other gospel writers, he's also very different too. So where Luke has a lot of detail and historical facts, Mark has very little detail. He just gives you action stories where John is very theological and focuses on the deity of Christ. Mark focuses on the, the person of Christ, the, the actions he performed to serve the people here on earth, where Matthew had a Jewish audience, so he is writing to Jews. Mark, you'll see, was writing to Romans, mostly Gentiles. And so he's very much like the other Gospels, but very unique in his own rights. And so we're going to learn more about how Mark approaches the life and ministry of Christ. And I want to show you that through all these stories that we reread in Mark chapter 1 this week, I want to focus on this idea of becoming. That's the title of today's message, Becoming. And I'll show you why that's the title. But let's pray first and ask the Lord to really prepare us for his word. Let's pray. Would you join me? Lord, we just pray that uh, as we open up your word, that you would open up our hearts uh, to receive what you want to pour into us today. And pray that you would open up our minds um, to really think in ways that are not natural to the human mind. I pray that you would give us your spirit to enlighten us and illuminate your truth God, would you uh, give us the words of eternal life? And I pray that by the end of this time, we would see that the cost of discipleship, following Christ, is worth it. Lord, that you would show us how good it is to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. So speak to us, Lord. Change our lives. We ask this with great expectation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So our main text is going to be in verses 16 through 20 today. Uh, but before we get to verse 16, let me kind of give you some summary as to what's happened up to this point, okay? So in Mark chapter 1, Jesus, we see that he gets baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan. We see that he spends time in the wilderness being tested by Satan, and then he then begins officially his public ministry. So he gets baptized, he goes to the wilderness, then he starts his ministry, which brings us to verse 16. And as he starts his ministry, one of the first things he does is tries to build a team by recruiting disciples. So here's what the text says in Mark 1, 16 through 20. It says, passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, who's also Peter, and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately, highlight that word immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boats mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Now, you'll, you'll notice that Mark likes that word immediately. Immediately. 
Have you noticed that in your readings? He uses it at least 39 times in his book. Uh, this idea of the urgency and expediency, he just jumps from story to story, immediately going from one scene to the next. In this story, Jesus goes to these fishermen, Peter and Andrew, and he calls them to follow him, and immediately they drop their nets and follow him. Then immediately he goes to John and James, and he says the same thing, and they drop their nets and follow him, not only dropping their nets, but also leaving their father. Now, I want to slow it down a little bit. Let's slow this down because Mark's flying through these details, but let's take a look at this huge decision that was just made. It's a small detail, but it's a huge decision. They're fishermen by trade. That's their livelihood. That's what they do to make a living. And we know that with James and John, not only is it their livelihood, it's their family business. They've been following in the footsteps of their earthly father. That's a big deal. Think about this for a moment. For those of you who are in your careers right now, whether you're early in your career, maybe you're further along in your career, like that was no small deal to, to figure out what you're going to do. Maybe it took some soul searching or exploring, took some education, maybe some training, interviews, asking around about this. And so you made a decision to enter this career. Now, would you be able, if I gave you a week, do you think you could leave your career by the end of this week? Like, even if you weren't happy in your career, it took you something to get there. So would you be able to leave it by the end of the week? I'm just trying to show you that's not a small decision. Well, these guys, these fishermen don't leave their career by the end of the week. They don't even leave it by the end of the day. They drop their nets and leave it by the end of the conversation. It just took two simple words, follow me, and they're like, all right, new career. Now, to show you even more how, just more how radical this is, like Jesus is this guy who's just starting their ministry. So they probably don't know a lot about this rabbi Jesus. They don't know that he's the, the Messiah or the Son of God or the King who has come. They might not even know who he is. He has no resume, no track record. And yet my question is, why do they immediately drop their nets to follow him, leave their father to follow him? Well, here's where some insight from Jewish culture and tradition might actually help us out a bit. So let me show you kind of a journey of a young Jewish child. Around four or five, they would start primary school called Bet Sefer. So Bet Sefer means house of the book. And in primary school, they start learning and writing Torah. Torah is what we refer to as our first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. For them, it's just the Jewish scriptures, right? So they start learning and memorizing uh, the Torah, but then as they grow older, those who stick with the studies might begin to enter Bet Midrash. Now, Bet Midrash is the house of study where they'll study beyond the Torah. They'll start studying the Jewish prophets and the laws, some of the oral traditions, the rabbinical teachings called the Mishnah, right? And so they're continuing their studies, and then when they come to age about 12 to 13 for the boys... Maybe you're familiar with bar mitzvah. Maybe you've been to bar mitzvah. Well, bar mitzvah means son of the commandments. And that means this, this boy who studied the laws, he's now coming of age, and now he's on his own. He's accountable before God. The parents are no longer responsible for his actions because he's now going to live a life in adherence to the Jewish law. And then the best of the best students who really continue in the studies 
will continue to grow later in their teens and even in the young adult years. And they would then try to pursue a rabbi, a, a respectable teacher in Judaism to follow after. And so they would choose, kind of like you would choose what kind of college you want to go to. They would choose what rabbi they want to study under. And then they would ask if they could be their Talmud. Talmud means disciple or follower. That's what it translates to. They're, they're learning from the rabbi. Now, if the rabbi didn't feel that, that you were worthy to follow after him, he would reject you. He would decline. And so then a lot of uh, Jewish boys or young men would have to figure out, now what do I do in life? I'm never going to be a rabbi. Um, so they'll have to figure out some other profession, maybe the family trade. But if he accepted you, he would invite you. And so some of you who are waiting for those college letters right now in the next couple of months, few months, you're looking for an envelope, right? An acceptance letter. Well, they didn't have acceptance letters. They didn't have an envelope. They had an invitation. And, and their form back then of an acceptance letter would be the rabbi saying to the, 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 the student, follow me. Those two words, follow me, was like the acceptance letter. Come, now walk in my steps. And then if that was you, you got accepted, there'd be this saying, traditionally, they would say, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Well, what does that mean? Well, it comes from oral tradition. The Jewish Mishnah, Avot 1-4, tells us that there's this saying that students, disciples, would sit in the dust of the rabbi. And it's this picture of the, the student wanting to be everything his rabbi was, to emulate him, to learn from him, to, to receive all his teachings and to walk like his rabbi. And so as, he, as the rabbi would walk through the town in the dirt roads, as his sandals are kicking up dust, you're falling so closely behind him that you're getting caked with this dust. And when the rabbi decided to park in a particular place, then, the, then the, the disciple would sit at his feet and just learn and hang on to every word of the rabbi. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And so that was an aspiration for many Jewish boys, young men. And so here's Jesus, Mark chapter 1. These fishermen are fishing, and Jesus comes along. He comes to them, and he says only two words, follow me. And so it shouldn't shock us that immediately they drop their nets, even leaving their father to follow him. Why? Because, well, it's safe to say that at this point in their life, they're not rabbis. They didn't make the cut to be rabbis. Why? Well, because they're fishermen. And I think it's safe to assume that, that maybe they aspire to be someone's Talmudim, disciples, but it got rejected. Why? Well, because of how immediately they were willing to drop it and follow him. This is what we've been wanting. We've been longing to be accepted as Talmudim. And so they drop it and they follow Jesus. And Jesus says this. He says, follow me. But not only that, he says, if you follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Why does he say that? What does that mean? Well, he's taking what they're used to, but he's saying instead of you catch, cat, catching fish for a living, I'm going to give you a new ministry. You're going to be capturing the hearts of men and women. You're going to be winning souls for the kingdom. Follow me. But you, do you notice, actually, let's correct this. He doesn't say, I will make you fishers of men. 
He didn't say that. What did he say? Let's look at it again. Verse 17. He says, I will make you become fisher of men. I'm going to make you ministers of the gospel. It's interesting that so many things in this story happen immediately, right? Immediately, immediately. But this is one thing that does not happen immediately. Why? Because the, the, the process of becoming is a process that doesn't happen overnight, but this is something that will happen over time. It will happen over time. He says, I will make you become fishers of men. Now, I want to uh, just take a moment to acknowledge that, man, what Jesus is doing here is so disruptive, right? It's so disruptive to these men who have picked up the family trade, and it, it, it disrupts not only what they're doing in that moment, but it disrupts the trajectory, the outlook of their lives. And I want to say to you who have decided to follow Jesus that it's disruptive, and I'm wondering for you, what does that disruption look like? But for them, they embraced that disruption. Why? Because for them, they believed in their hearts that discipleship, following after this rabbi, would lead to a much better life than the one that they were currently living. That was a conviction. That's why they could drop it so easily. And so for you who have decided to follow, decided to follow Christ, how might that disrupt your life? Maybe it, it is going to be a career change. Talk to someone this week where he's going through that. He's really considering leaving his career to obey this call of following Christ for him. He senses a call. Maybe for you, it's leaving a relationship in order to better grow in your relationship with Christ. Maybe it's repenting from a routine that you've been living in for too long and you realize, I need to follow Jesus in his steps. Maybe it's being rejected by a relative because of this decision to be a Christian. Maybe it's attacking an addiction that's controlled your life for too long. And it's a decision where it's going to disrupt your life. And I'm telling you, yeah, it's disruptive. But I pray like the disciples, you would embrace the disruption and see that this leads to a much better life, the best life possible when we choose discipleship, to follow after Jesus. And so he says, I will make you become, doesn't happen immediately overnight, but it's a promise that happens over time if you would just follow in the footsteps of a rabbi. It's a process, and I pray that we would embrace that process. So let me take you back now. What I want to do the rest of this time is I want to show you some of the footsteps of our rabbi, show you some of the steps that Jesus walked, because I believe for his disciples and many of you disciples, I believe you will walk in these steps as well. So we take a few steps back. Let's go to verses 9 through 11. And some of the first steps of Jesus was he got baptized. So if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. He got baptized. All right, what a powerful moment. Let's read that. Verse 9 through 11. Mark tells us, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice from heaven, 
You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. That was a powerful moment in the life of Jesus. Jesus is getting baptized. Now, have you stopped this week as you were reading this to wonder, why did Jesus have to get baptized? If baptism was a repentance from sin, a turning away from sin, why did Jesus have to get baptized if he never sinned? He had nothing to repent from. Well, the detail that Mark leaves out, Matthew actually gives us this detail. Jesus says it's to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, it's to fulfill the righteous requirements of the Father. And if he desires us and requires us of something, then Jesus is going to fulfill it. It's like Jesus saying to us, yeah, I'm the son of God, fully God, but I'm also fully man. 100% man like you, men and women. I am like you. And everything the Father desires of you, I'm I'm of no exception. I will be held to those requirements as well. And we get this, that Jesus took on this attitude, right? Because Jesus didn't sin and therefore didn't have to die because of sin, but he did for us. And in the same way, Jesus didn't sin and therefore didn't have to be baptized because of sin, but he did for us to be our model and example to fulfill that righteous requirement. And so everything he did on earth was out of obedience to the Father and on behalf of sinners like you and me. He had us in mind as he was honoring his father. And so Jesus gets baptized in that beautiful moment when he goes down into the Jordan and he emerges from that water. He was emerging physically, but also it was like he was emerging publicly onto the scene for the first time before people as the son of God. Because in that moment as he emerges, the heavens open up and a booming voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This is my son, the son of God. And then the Holy Spirit of God comes down and anoints him. And for the first time publicly, he's made known to the people as the son of God. What a powerful moment in the life of Jesus. And for those of you who have been baptized and you came to faith, that was a powerful moment in your life. I I love baptisms here at South Bay Community Church. I want to show you a picture of a baptism that took place here. This is several years ago. This is our, our friend and brother, uh, Adrian. And I, I distinctly remember this moment. It was a very exciting and celebratory moment. Because like everybody else getting baptized, Adrian was saying, I have decided to follow Jesus. It's a new beginning. He's repenting from an old life, and he's beginning new in Christ, and he's making it known, I have decided to follow Jesus. That's what we do in baptism. Now, here's the thing. Here's what we always say. We've been doing this for years. We always say this to the group of people getting baptized here. And it's usually they're sitting in these seats right here before service starts, and we kind of talk to them. Sometimes it's in the back room, but we say this. Hey, listen, what you're about to experience is a very powerful thing. It's an exciting moment in your life. But we say tomorrow, make sure you walk with Jesus. We tell them, make sure you get into his word. Get intimate with him. Get into a life group. Get into community and and make sure you're with others. Why do we tell them that? Well, we tell them this is why we're telling you this because we have seen many people get baptized here. Many people get baptized. And sadly, many of those who get baptized 
we stop seeing. Some of them we never see again. Why? Well, we don't always know why. Maybe they moved and they just didn't tell us. Or maybe they found a, another church, a church where they feel like they can grow better in. Maybe. We don't always know. But I say this. Here's what I do know. I know that there is a real enemy who would love to threaten your faith, to tempt you to turn away from Jesus, who would love to steal your joy. He's out there, and he's going to go for you. So walk with Jesus. And that's, that's our encouragement because that often happens. We see that. And though we've seen that for years, we've been saying that for years, I've never seen this until this week. I've never noticed this, but as I was studying Mark chapter 1, what happens right after Jesus gets baptized? This glorious moment where he's affirmed by the Father and anointed by the Spirit, what happens next? Wilderness. So if you're taking notes, write this down. The very next period of Jesus' life, wilderness. We go on in, in verse 12 and 13. It says, the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Like immediately, right after this mountaintop experience, they're being baptized in the Jordan. The next period is spent in the wilderness. The Greek word is eremos. It could be translated desert. Or desolate place. And there we learn that he's tempted and trapped by Satan. And then Mark adds this other detail that he was surrounded. He was with the wild animals. And that's a detail we could gloss over because it's moving along so quick. But let's slow it down and let's think about that. Why does Mark mention he was with the wild animals? Now, when you think about that, I don't want you to think Jesus is like Snow White where there's like birds and chipmunks and bunnies hopping all around, singing melodies with him in the forest. Like, I don't think Mark has that in mind. I think Mark's trying to say there was a very real threat, a physical threat, not just spiritual, that he needed to be ministered to. That draws memories for me. It brings me back to one of the worst nights of my life. Uh, years ago, my friends and I we were going to go backcountry uh, hiking and camping in, in Yosemite. And we got this backcountry permit, so we we're going to go off the beaten path and try to hike until we found a place to uh, pitch our tents where there wasn't a desi designated campground. And so they told us, though, um, as we were getting this permit, that it's bear season. And they said, the high alert, because there's wild bear sightings. And so I'm like hiking with this in mind. I'm like paranoid that as we're hiking these trails off the beaten path that there could be wild bears around us. And so we, we hike all day and we finally get to our site. We pitch our tents and that night was the worst night of my life because I'm laying there in my tent and I'm trying to get some rest. And as I'm laying there, uh, I'm, I'm next to the, the, the wall of the tent. Um, and as I'm trying to sleep, all of a sudden I hear, up against the side of my tent, right by my head. Like the sound of a bear trying to figure out how to get inside the tent. And I'm trying to lay still and trying to hold my breath, do everything I can not to make a single movement as to let the bear know there's a human being on the other side of that tent. I'm like freaked out. All night long, I'm trying to stay still. Don't move, Craig, don't move. All night, I didn't sleep a wink that night. Until the break of dawn, until 
the, the, the light broke. And I realized that there was no bear. It was the, the flap of the tent, like rubbing up against the side of the tent because of the evening breeze. And every time wind came through, and, and the whole, it's so lame. I lost sleep because of the wind. But the thought of wild animals that really exist was a threat to me. And so Jesus here not only experienced the threats, the temptation of a spiritual enemy, but also the threat of physical opponents. And so that was a wilderness experience for Jesus. I wonder how many of you are walking in the wilderness right now or are experiencing some kind of desert season. What does that look like for you? Maybe it is spiritual in nature and you're being tempted and tried. Maybe it's physical in nature. What does it look like for you? Within the next couple of years after Adrian, who you saw in the picture, got baptized, this joyous spiritual moment, he soon entered deep into the desert, and he wrestled in the wilderness specifically with alcoholism. And I, and I know some of the people in this church, we try to walk with him in that. We try to bring help, and he wrestled, and as he wrestled with alcohol, we saw his marriage begin to crumble. And there's great tension in the marriage, much due to the alcoholism. Then COVID hits, and we stopped seeing each other. Remember that time? We stopped seeing each other, and that made it very hard to minister to someone like Adrian. And then we stopped hearing from him. And I remember getting calls and texts from people, hey, have you talked to Adrian? He's not responding to our calls. He's not picking up his phone. He's not texting back. And I'm like, no, I haven't heard from him. Can't, can't get a hold of him. Well, I find out that Adrian had left. And as much as we tried to save Adrian from alcohol, we tried to save his marriage, we realized we couldn't. None of us had the power to save. None of us are saviors. And it was the hardest thing to accept. And Adrian ended up leaving his marriage in divorce. And he ended up, ended up leaving California and moved to another state. And it always baffled me, like, God, how could you allow someone to, to wander into the wilderness? Like, God, how could you allow somebody who just declared their faith and their love for you and this decision to follow you, how do you let them detour into the desert like that? Why would God allow them to end up there? Why wouldn't God protect them or redirect them if he could? He's God. And as I was studying Mark chapter 1 this week, I realized sometimes God doesn't allow people to end up in the wilderness. Sometimes he doesn't allow them to end up in the desert. Sometimes it's because he brings them there. Sometimes he leads them there. Let me show you again verse 12. It says, the spirit, the spirit of God immediately drove him out into the wilderness. The Spirit of God brought him there, and there he was tempted, he was tried by Satan, by wild animals. So why, God, why would you do that? Where's the wisdom? Where's the goodness in that? Have you ever asked that about your wilderness or your desert season? Like, why would you allow me to get here? I love what my friend, Pastor uh, Will Chung, said this week, and it's so timely that I heard him say this, but he says this, he says, sometimes it's in the wilderness where God wants to meet his people, that the wilderness is the meeting place of God. 
And isn't that true? When we look at the Bible, wasn't it in the wilderness that God meets his servant Moses through a burning bush? Wasn't it in the wilderness where God meets his people Israel by providing manna from heaven and water from the rock? Wasn't it in the wilderness where he provides leadership, direction by a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of clouds by day? Remember last week? Where did Elijah end up? In the wilderness. When he is worried, wearied, withdrawn, he ends up in the wilderness. Who met him there? God. By providing a cake, physical sustenance, by providing a messenger, an angel to speak to him. God often wants to meet us in the wilderness. It's interesting. The word wilderness, I told you earlier, it's the word eremos in the Greek. Desert or desolate place. If you were in Mark this past week, yesterday actually, Mark 135, you you read this. This was the passage for yesterday. Rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a, a Ramos, a desolate place, wilderness place where he prayed. Jesus was going there to what? To meet with the Father, to meet with God. And I want to say, friends, church, when you find yourself in the desert place, do not despise the desert because maybe God wants to meet you there. Why is that? Why is this oftentimes a meeting place? Well, it's in the desert where we're going to feel like there is no water anymore. We're going to feel like there is no food for me. It's going to feel like I have no friends around me. It's going to feel like every well has run dry. And when we're in that most desperate place, that most desolate place, that's where I believe God loves to show up, to show you that he cares for your soul. He is compassionate over you. He is more than enough. He is all sufficient. I I believe God loves to meet you in that place and to show you that when it feels like all have run out, he hasn't. When you feel abandoned, you aren't. For God has always been and will always be there. And I believe it's in that desert place that God wants to minister to your soul and then make a minister out of you. He wants to minister to your soul through your trials and your tests, and then he wants to make a minister out of you. And maybe not an ordained pastor, maybe not a reverend of some church, but a minister. I I believe he wants all of us to have this ability to administer to people the gospel of grace, to make known to people the, the goodness of God by giving you a real testimony, to proclaim a real God. And out of your tests will come that testimony. And so Jesus is here, he's tempted spiritually by Satan, probably spiritually or physically threatened by wild animals. What does verse 13 say? It says that the angels then ministered to him. Evidence and proof that God had not abandoned his son, that God was sending his compassionate help, in this case through the angels. For you, I don't know what that's going to look like. Maybe God's going to meet you and, and minister to you. Maybe it's through angels. Maybe it's through good Christian friends who care about you. Maybe it's through the word of God. Maybe it's through financial assistance or some physical sustenance. But do you trust that God will meet you in the most intimate ways there in the desert that you may not experience on the mountain? And so after Jesus was ministered to, now 
his ministry officially begins. And so here's the last thing you might want to write down in your notes. Ministry is the next step for Jesus. Because the very next passage, Mark describes the beginning of his work on earth. Verse 14 and 15 says this, Now after John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so here are the footsteps of Jesus. Baptism into the wilderness out with ministry. Baptism, verse 9 through 11, he gets baptized in the Jordan. Verse 11 to 13, Jesus goes into the wilderness where he's tested and tried, and then he comes out in verse 14 and 15 and begins his ministry. And then we get to verse 16, and that's where we come full circle. Because now we're in this chapter, as he begins his ministry, he goes to these fishermen and he calls them out. He says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. He's calling them to follow closely. And as they follow him so closely as to be covered in the dust of the rabbi, he says, you will become through this process. Now, what transformative process might they have to undergo? How do they become ministers to, to people? Well, perhaps it's when the followers of Jesus follow so closely, realizing that not only is Jesus our master, but he's also our model. And maybe it's following after him that we too, as disciples, will experience baptism, wilderness, ministry. And that may not just be once in your life. Maybe the, that comes in seasons and cycles where you experience the joy of some spiritually successful season, the joy of baptism maybe, or maybe the joy of salvation or some other spiritual success only to find yourself next in the wilderness where you will be tried and tested to, to prove your faith. And out of that, you're developing your unique ministry that God is giving you as you come out of it. And I really believe it's there in the desert where our ministry is developed. Again, your unique test developing for you, your unique testimony to speak Jesus in ways that you couldn't before. When Adrian was in that wilderness battling alcohol addiction and actually went through the divorce I believe that God was meeting him in his desert. God was meeting him in intimate ways. See, I found out that when he left California, he ended up in Indiana. And in Indiana, he has a friend who introduced him to Teen Challenge. It's a ministry that helps people experience Christ and break free from life-controlling issues like alcohol and drugs and other life-controlling issues. And so the people of Teen Challenge met with him, and they walked with Adrian, and they ministered to him. I didn't know this was going on. Then in 2022, a couple years after COVID first started, I get this call. I hadn't kept in touch with him, but I get this call. It's a FaceTime call from Adrian. And when I pick up the phone, this is what showed up on my phone. This is a screenshot. This is a, a conversation with Adrian. And I don't know if you can see, but if you look closely, he's wearing a Teen Challenge uniform. Why? Because now he's on the other side 
where he has experienced freedom from alcohol. He's walking in sobriety, and now he's on staff at Teen Challenge, now helping other young men experience freedom in Christ and break through from life-controlling issues like alcoholism. Why? Because he's been there, and he gets it. He understands, and he empathizes, and he has a new compassion that he didn't have before the wilderness. I found out he's been promoted. I, I called him this week. He's been promoted to a director at Teen Challenge. That was 2022 when I got that call. What an encouragement. What a ministry that out of his misery came this amazing ministry. Well, this week, totally random. Well, maybe it's not random, but I get a text from him again. It's been a while since I've heard from him. Uh, it had nothing to do with this message. He didn't know what, what I was preaching on. He texted me. He's, it's a link to a video. And so I opened up the video, and it's Adrian preaching. And here's him preaching the word of God, delivering the message to his church in Indiana. Now, I'll be honest. I went online to check out this church, snoop around a little bit, make sure it was a legit church and like not some kind of cult or something. So I'm like, what kind of church is this? So I'm looking up this church, and I found out it's a solid church. It's legit. But I, I look at the staff, who's on staff there, and Adrian didn't tell me this, but Adrian is now part of their preaching staff, a pastor in training to help preach the word of God to people in Indiana and beyond. What a ministry that God created out of his misery. Not only is he at Teen Challenge, but he's behind the pulpit. I called him up in response this week just to congratulate him and, and just shared that excitement with him. And what I found out was throughout the past year, God had been also restoring and working through their marriage. His wife, Shalanda, was in Chicago. He's in Indiana. But here's a video he sent me yesterday morning. It's actually addressed to you, church. So check out this video from Adrian. Hi. Hey, what's up, South Bay Community Church? Pastor Greg. Man, it's been a long time since we've seen you guys. We miss you. We just wanted to jump on here, man, and just say thank you for all the prayers and the support that you guys uh, have given us. Uh, thank you for the family environment that you brought us into when we first visited there a few years ago. Man, God is just so good. He's been a blessing in our in our relationship, uh, restoring our marriage. Uh, Pastor Greg, thank you for this opportunity to, to reintroduce ourselves to South Bay Community Church as a couple. Love Amen. you guys. Amen. I found out that Shalanda, who used to be our worship leader, has moved to Indiana. And they have their own separate ministries, but they are working toward remarriage. They will remarry to renew their covenant before God and before each other. Do you believe in a miraculous God? Amen. Powerful God. <laughs> Baptism, wilderness, ministry. Church, I pray that when you experience that joyful spiritual season, that you will throw your hands up and hallelujah, throw up hallelujahs. But when you find yourself in the desert, do not despise the desert. Throw your hands up and hallelujah anyway. Because in this, that place, I believe God wants to meet you. And so don't you give up in the desert. 
press through, find him. He will find you, meet with him. And when he brings you through, because he will bring you through, he will give you a ministry. You will become a minister to many, a fisher of men and women. So I pray, church, that you would follow closely in the footsteps of our rabbi, Jesus, that you would be covered in the dust of our rabbi. Let's follow him. Amen? Amen. Here's what I want to do as we uh, continue on in our worship and respond. In a few moments, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand because I know that some of us in here are going through a desert season. Some of us are walking through the wilderness. We will all experience that. That's not abnormal. So there's no shame in this. But some of us are going through it right now. And so in a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if that's you. And we're going to have our eyes open. There's no shame in this. And I pray that we would break shame in here and we would do this as a family. I want you to just raise your hand. I'm not going to make you stand up. I'm not going to make you come forward. You're not even going to have to say a single word. You're just acknowledging I'm going through it. And for, for everybody else around, you're going to see people raising their hands around you, maybe next to you, maybe in front of you. I want to ask that we do a time of ministry right now. Let's just minister to each other. And I want to encourage you to pray for them. Maybe lay your hands on them or extend your hand towards them. Or maybe if you want, get up out of your seats and go over, put an arm around them and pray for them. You don't need to know their story. You just need to know they're in the wilderness. And maybe it's in this moment that God is meeting them. That he's ministering to them through you, the church, and reminding them, I have not left you. I have not abandoned you. Here's the church to prove that I, I hear you and I see you. So when you see hands go up, know who's around you. Let's pray for each other. I'm going to come down. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to join you guys. Let's pray for each other. And so if that's you, if you're going through a desert season or wilderness season, would you raise your hand right now? There's no shame in this. We're all going to go through it. Amen. I'm the first to raise my hand. I'm going through my own stuff right now. And I need prayer, so I'm raising my hand with you. So raise your hand if you're going through wilderness or desert. Let's look around and, and identify brothers and sisters who just need prayer. And what I'm going to ask right now is that we just spend this time asking God, meet them, minister to them, show up for them, God. Let's do that now. And then our worship team will come and lead us into a time of singing. But let's pray for one another.